Howdy, folks. This is Scott Parker, and you're listening to episode number 41 of the ZappaCast for March of 2019. And who do we have on the phone today? Sir, speak your name and identify yourself. <laughs> Joe Travers, Waltmeister. Hey. How are you, Joe? I'm good. I'm good. Things are really, uh, things are really cooking right now. It's, it's pretty fun. Week one is in the books, right? Week one of rehearsals. Yep, we um, finished up our first week of rehearsals for the hologram tour, and it's great to be uh, in the company of these guys and playing this music with them is uh, a mind blower for me, as you could very well imagine. Oh, I can imagine. It's coming together fairly quickly, isn't it? You have, what, about a month now? Yeah, I think it, it kind of has to at this point because um, uh, we've only got, I don't know, I think three weeks of rehearsal and then some production rehearsals in there somewhere. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the songs are demanding, you know. Some of them are pretty complicated, you know, but uh, not all of them. So it should be okay. It should be great. Yeah, I was uh, really glad to hear that it came along, especially relatively quickly because, I mean, how long has have you known who was going to be the core of the band and all that kind of stuff? I mean, it seems like this stuff happened within the space of a few months for you to get everything together, really. Yeah. Yeah, I think we chose the band, like, sometime late last year, I think. Yeah, did you have, like, a dream team in mind and then just work off of that? Well, it all depended on everybody's schedule and everybody's uh, interest in doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we were really blessed that, um, that the people that uh, said yes all happened to be, you know, members of the band, really, except for me. Yeah, yeah but, I mean, you know, you... You know that catalog, I'm arguably better than anybody. So, <laughs> you should. <laughs> yeah, I should. It's my it's my job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we've got in the band. We've got Mike Keneally. Yep. Um, and he's basically doing all the. I mean, he's basically doing all the guitar parts, right? Or all the demanding technical guitar parts and keyboards uh, and keyboards. And is he singing also? Yeah, he he's be. also singing. Yeah, he's also singing. So you've got you've got uh, Mike, you've got Scott Tunis, of course. Yeah, everybody knows who Scott Tunis is. If you folks, if you don't know who Scott Tunis is, you probably should be listening to a different podcast. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Ed Mann on percussion, which is uh, nice to have Ed back in the fold. Absolutely, and, I had never met Ed before. Really? So, no, we had never crossed paths ever, so it was really uh, exciting to be able to get the chance to meet him and now play music with him. Yeah, that's awesome. See, oh, of course. How could we forget Ray White? On oh. He's still got it, huh? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> he's, just a, he's just a great spirit and a great person and such an amazing natural talent, you know. And uh, it's it's so wonderful to hear him singing in my in my ears. <laughs> yeah, I I can't wait. And on, of course, keyboards, you have Robert Martin, and he... Uh, and saxophone. Uh, and saxophone. I mean, he's been out playing some of this stuff over the years, so, I mean, every, you know, I think a lot of people know what he brings to the table, but, you know, and basically what you have is a miniature version of the 88 band, more or less. Pretty much, yeah. The uh, With Ray White, you know, it's like a combination of the 81, 88, you know, lineup there, yeah. I don't see, you know, like, this is a fan's, you know, this is like a fan's wet dream, folks. So it's, <laughs> you know, when I saw the picture that um, Amit put up of the day one of rehearsals of the band, 
mm-hmm. I was just beyond excited. You know, I'd, come on, folks. Great. You know, yeah. it, it's a fantastic shot. And, uh, I mean, we're going to be, we're going to be, um, hearing it in about a month, start the tour in Port Chester. And, um, was it some East Coast, mostly East Coast dates right now in yeah. Europe? Yep, East Coast in Europe. Yeah, we'll be doing uh, almost a week in the UK, and then I think we've got a gig in Amsterdam, and then uh, we're going to go back in July to do, uh, uh, I guess, uh, some gigs in Spain or a festival in Spain, and they're going to fill in dates around it. So that's to be determined. But yeah, so far it's like six weeks of dates scheduled. That kind of breaks the band in, and uh, you know, you get to work with the technology and you know people will get a chance to see because no doubt you'll have a million people taking videos of it and putting it on youtube (laughs) yeah no doubt yeah that's that's the age now isn't it it is yeah everybody brings their cell phones to shows so so what can we i don't know what you can tell us in terms of repertoire because the the last teaser trailer that was on youtube um said something about unreleased Frank compositions. I know you can't give much away. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately I can't. It would be bad to spoil the surprise. And that should also go after the people that are going to film the early shows and put it up online. It's like, do you really want to spoil it for the people down the line that, you know, you didn't have YouTube videos to watch when you went to your show. So maybe you should sure. keep it that way for those other people too, you know? That's true. Well, they, you know, some artists now will come out and they'll have, you know, they'll do some kind of announcement before the show starts saying, you know, don't experience the show through your cell phone. Experience it with us, you know. Yeah. Nobody wants to ruin the surprise for people because will there be different sets uh, in the different songs rotating in and out, or will you have a fixed set? No, that's the goal. The goal is to have different shows, and okay. so that's that's good. And also, too, I, uh, I'm noticing that as this thing progresses, they're going to be adding songs as we go. So I think it's good that we'll be keeping it fresh and changing it up and having options so that it's not the same show every night. That's hmm. also keeping keeping with the Frank tradition as well. Yeah, and you know that people, as Frank certainly, you know, acknowledged, people would come, you know, same people would show up at different shows. And uh, um, when, you know, if you had a cluster of shows in a certain area, you might see you know, some of the same people in the audience. So, you know, it kind of throws something to them when, when you can rotate things in and out of the set. That's pretty awesome. Now, yes, I know there's there's been a lot of talk about guests, but do you have that nailed down yet? Uh, well, we've got people that have agreed that they would do it, but as far as, like, when they're scheduled and when when it's happening, I, I, I really don't know. Yeah. There's nothing immediately planned, I would assume, because a lot of, I, I would imagine... You know, I'm just thinking out loud, but I would imagine that um, a lot of the guests, you know, being in many cases based in California, you'd be more likely to see them on the West Coast than, say, the East Coast, for example. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that that makes sense. But, um, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm just kind of at this. We're just kind of at this point just trying to get the music under our fingers. And I think that stuff will eventually just kind of uh just kind of happen you know um who chose the songs <laughs> or did they kind of choose themselves it was a combination of um Amit and also you know like a request list from the band members like you know what songs would you like to see and oh, then yeah. we 
and then we would kind of whittle them down and uh, and choose choose kind of like the strongest contenders and and things like that. And also, we took in mind about or um, we took in consideration what how the show would flow and what people would like to hear too. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Abed, of course, is um, kind of like Weasel in the fact that they both really like a certain period, which is the uh, early to mid seventies period. Yeah, seems that seems to be a strong period for those guys and their instant uh go tos exist from that area. So there'll be a lot from there. There'll be a lot from that that time period. But there'll be stuff thrown in, you know? Yeah, so that so the emphasis well, I guess you'd start with the early to mid seventies and then and you go back as far as freak out? Yeah. Um I don't think we do. I don't think we're doing anything from Freak Out on this. No. Yeah. Oh wait. Well, that's, we're doing one song uh, that you know obviously morphed over time, but started at the Freak Out record. So there's your clue. Yeah, <laughs> I think I may I may have an idea, but I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> then you, they can figure that one out. Yeah. Uh, this is just this is just going to be awesome. So I'm really excited about playing the songs that are unreleased. That's really going to be fun for everybody, the band and for the and for the fans. So that's that's really going to be good, and uh, some of that stuff is going to get incorporated later on as the shows mm-hmm. progress. Yeah, but that that stuff is really going to be fun to play. I'm super super stoked about that, and uh, I was glad to see that they were saying it in the last teaser trailer that there was going to be you know un unreleased compositions. So you know I'm I'm all about that, as you know. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Frank hologram. Now I know you haven't, you know, not everything is completely, you know, I mean, you're just rehearsing now you're rehearsing the music, but, uh, and I don't know what you can tell us about this, but, um, what will, will Frank be speaking to the audience like he did in that first teaser trailer and stuff like that? I mean, will he, Uh, there will be moments. There will be moments. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if it was going to be kind of like, well, like he used to be on stage, where he would sort of MC the proceedings. and Well, you know, I don't really know the technology that well, but I do know that a lot of it has to be pre-animated. So, it, you know, you have to make sure that uh, whatever you're going to present to the people are things that are being worked on, you know, uh, beforehand. It's not like you can just call up uh, things and, 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 and instantly it will just say it, you know. Theory, say this uh say this sentence and then the animated face will say the sentence, you know, it's not like sure. that, you know. Well you need like for example, if you wanted Frank to say something specific, you have to come up with an audio clip. Right. Something and then animate to that. So Yes. Um so yeah, you'd be limited in in scope and just out of the gate, obviously. But mm-hmm. you know, I keep trying to picture like how this is all gonna work. Because we've seen um hologram show i'm sure you've seen like the for example the do hologram i talked with Ahmed about that it was um 
The DL one was, I, I don't know if that was illusion or not, but it is. Uh, it is. I, I think that what you're looking at with the Frank show is something that nobody has ever seen in terms of the way the technology is going to be used. Right. You know, I, it's sort of revolutionary. It could be, you know, I mean, it, it could give ways for artists to continue to function long after that they are unable to um, play live. Yeah. Well, in the case of this show, it's not going to be, um, you know, oh, look, there's Frank Zappa standing there. You know, that's so cool. And then two yeah. hours later, you're like, oh, there's, there's Frank Zappa still standing there. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, sure. It's, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be um, incorporating a lot of different visual assets. So it'll be... It'll be it'll change up from song to song, and it'll be uh, it'll be a lot of fun too because the content is really entertaining, really fun, and a lot of it comes from Amit's mind. So it's really it's just it's very impressive on his end how much um, time and creativity he's invested in this project. It's it's wonderful. Uh, I'm so happy for him, you know, because I know this has been something he's been working on very hard for a long time, and um, it's just going to be, it's just going to be a lot of fun and, uh, and you'll see, you know, it's like, it's really one of those you'll see moments, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, you know, I couldn't be more stoked about it if I tried. So I, I, I'm <laughs> trying to, I know a lot of people who are going to shows and, and, uh, I'm basically just about everybody I know is going to at least one of the shows. So I'm pretty excited, you know, for you guys. Cause I think, you know, I think it's going to be a big tour. Now, obviously, it's going to continue. You probably are looking at um, shows in other areas of, of the states. I people hope so. Have, yeah, because people have been asking, and this was one of the questions from from listeners that I get all the time to, to ask you next time I talk to you, which was, um, you know, will there be shows in the Midwest? Will there be shows on the West Coast? Because otherwise, you know, there are people who are planning on flying out here for the shows and yeah I can't imagine that there won't be um yeah. I think I think that with after all this work that there, there there just has to be plans for all that stuff I I can't see any reason why there wouldn't be so um I would say yes there will be but obviously nothing's scheduled now and there's no designated time frame yet for that um one thing at a time and right sure. now uh it's looking like these these East Coast dates and and Europe is going to be what's going to kick this off and then you know it'll probably get legs and it'll probably expand and you know we'll just just have to take it day by day I think and we'll see how it all works out. Well, it's kind of like with um, with Zappa plays Zappa. Did they know going back to two thousand even two thousand five, but definitely by two thousand six, how successful that was going to be because you were pulling in pretty big. Absolutely practice. not. Yeah, I didn't think so. I thought it was a very big question mark as to how people were going to receive it. Yeah, promoters promoters especially were, you know, like it had to be proven. And um, it also had to include past band members from Zappa's band, you know. Mm -hmm. And, of course, that was one of the goals was to not have to rely on on having those guys around so so that the project can stand on its own and sell its own tickets. And, of course, that's what eventually happened. And so, you know, the goal was reached, which, yeah. which you know, and that band, that, that initial band, Zappa Play Zappa Band was just, was ready for it. You know, we were, it was great at that time because we were all in good spirits. We were a team. 
Mm-hmm. And we were all very excited to be doing it, playing that music, and those were, you know, those were those were good times, uh, you know, overall. <laughs> overall. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I still love listening to those early shows because there's so much, um, you know, there's so much energy in those shows, you know, so much enthusiasm. Yeah. That, uh, it's really, really, you know, it's kind of nice to to hear those shows, which are, you know. One of those early shows made it to a DVD. Yeah, Royal Albert Hall, I think, was one that somehow got out there. Yeah, that got out there. <laughs> yep. Yep. You know how these things are. Well, sure. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm just, um, I think the same thing is going to happen with this tour. I think that, you know, I'm sure that being, you know, you know, when people say, like, holograms, they're thinking, like, you know, the Tupac hologram or the, Dio hologram and stuff like that. And this is not what this is. I always, I look at it as Zappa's universe come to life. Yes, exactly. Is that, is that way out of, or, or does that work for you? No, that, that totally works. Although it doesn't come, it's not, it has, it's a different concept than Zappa's universe, the actual show that happened in oh, 1991. Sure. I, because that, you know, instantly that's what I would think of when you say that. But yes, it is the universe of Zappa visually, brought to life and uh you know it's going to be a spectacle and what's great about it is that there's that live element involved where you've got you know a live band playing mm-hmm. the whole night along with it so it's not like you don't have that element there for the people that want the live experience it's there and there will be sections of the show where the band just plays on its own and it's it, and there's no hologram at all so great. it will be it'll be a good mixture yeah, I I was going to ask about that actually because um you know that way they can um the musicians get the opportunity to reveal their splendor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to the crowds. Yeah. There's no way you could have that, that quality, you know, group band on stage, you know, in terms of musicianship and not let them um play, you know, sometimes. And uh yeah, I don't know if there's much of things like you know like improvisational stuff like say pound for brown or something like that but um you know that will give them a chance to let loose but right. um, you know but i i mean you know you couldn't really ask for a better band i i was trying to think of like how you know if i were to put together like your dreams apple lineup i i can't think of better musicians for for each position i just can't and ray white i mean he's just the He's the cherry on top. He's, oh, for uh, sure. Absolutely. You know, his vocal work with Frank is some of my favorite stuff, you know. I mean, he was the voice of, um, you know, from 76 to 84. He was, uh, you know, kind of the voice that, what I think of as the voice of Frank Zappa in a way. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I'm just, I'm so excited you have him here. So I'm very much looking forward to that, and I think everybody who is listening to this show needs to get a ticket and get their shit together and get a ticket. Go out and just buy one. Yeah. Yeah, and also, you know, you mentioned 
you know, Ray and, uh, and how great he is, you know, you get to hear lots of stuff, uh, from him, uh, on that new upcoming Zappa in New York. Deluxe yeah. Box. This, yeah. Is, this is the next, very next thing I was going to ask you about. Yeah. Uh, in kind of, well, you've been working on it for a while. Oh yeah. The, the Zappa in New York set. And that, that one took a long time. It really did. Yeah, the, pro- the process was fairly brutal um, because uh, of the state of of how everything was left after that project was done. Um, you know, you know how Frank is. He'll mm-hmm. he'll he'll you know literally physically with a razor blade uh, uh, remove the parts of songs that he would like and create master build reels mm-hmm. with all those with all those edits in place and uh, and leave the tapes all come yeah. up and sitting in boxes and <clears throat> in order to be able to get the full shows in full sequence with all of the edits replaced back in order, what you have to do is you have to transfer everything. Mm-hmm. And and there was at least, oh my gosh, I mean, I can't recall the amount of tapes, but I think it was in the thirties. There was at least 32 inch 24 track master tapes that all had to be heat treated and then transferred. And, uh, Timing-wise, this was done at a time when we didn't have our studio any longer because um, Lady Gaga had bought the house, and yes, we didn't have a studio, so we did all the transfers at a facility in Iron Mountain, Iron Mountain mm-hmm. Studios, with a great engineer who was very, very kind and very great. And um, so his name was Ken. So Ken and I sat for, I don't know, about a week, maybe a week and a half, and we got everything tweaked and he treated and transferred all that stuff. And then, uh, then digitally I would go in to pro tools and, you know, get all the different sections of everything mm-hmm. and shift it around like little, little like puzzle pieces. Yeah. And try to get them all together in order. And thankfully I was able to have, um, two track like board mixes that were in the vault of, the entire show, so I could use that as a mirror. Otherwise, I would have been lost trying yeah. to find all of that stuff and put it in order. And then once it was in order, I had to identify what sections uh, were released and mm-hmm. what sections weren't and try and find the best alternate versions because these concerts weren't, um, you know, like the band didn't totally kill it every night because there was new members there were new pieces. There wasn't as much rehearsal as normal. Uh-huh. And uh, and it was a fairly large ensemble to try and get all in sync and on track. Uh, but they, you know, they sound great, but it wasn't exactly up to Frank standards in some parts. And so Frank would take the best played parts and in, in his mind and create the ultimate version, so to speak. And so I had to try and find versions that were comparable and would work without being detrimental to the tune or to the legacy. And sure. so when, when, when people ask, why didn't you release the full shows? Well, that's the reason why. So we picked the best, best alternate stuff. And we also picked a representation of every single song that was played during the nights, all four nights. Wow. There were some songs that were only played once and, you know, and then there were some songs that were played multiple times and I would choose the best versions. And uh, so everything is basically there, 
And yep. so that uh, that process, I mean, I was doing that on the road in hotel rooms while I was touring with Joe Satriani last year. It was just crazy on my off time. Oh my you know, I was spending so much time staring at my laptop, getting all that stuff in order. And, uh, <laughs> and then once um, I would create master files uh, from all of that stuff, then I would send that to our mixer, Craig Parker Adams. And then mm-hmm. I would sit with Craig, and we would, you know, meticulously go over this stuff. It was really, it was really a process, man. It took took about a year and some. I'd say about almost a year and a half. Yeah, to do that, to do that entire project, and wow. uh, we had it all ready to go for the anniversary for the uh, release. But you know, we got pushed, unfortunately. And uh-huh. uh, but now it's finally happening on the 29th of March. Wow. See, I, I just. You know, what we've heard of it, because obviously there's been some tracks released, and it's just, I mean, it sounds incredible, because, you know, for for people who collect tapes out there, all you've ever really had were these audience recordings, and for the most part, not very good at all, but Mm. good good enough to hear what you're saying about the band in terms of the... the, um, Looseness. Looseness, yeah, there you go. Yeah, and Frank, if correct me if I'm wrong, but he does occasionally comment on it during the shows. You know, he'll he'll say, you know, for example, I think there was a a performance. I think it was the second night, maybe, where they played the Black Page twice, yeah, one right after the other, because Frank was not happy with the first performance of it, and. You know, well, it was because uh, one of the horn players didn't play the proper horn. They had forgotten to switch. Uh, oh, he was playing blue, yeah. right? And, and Yeah, and so, you know, because they were recording, you know, you have to remember, he had the mindset of, well, we're recording all this, and this is going to be, you know, where I base a lot of um, a future record from. So I'm sure you're sure. thinking in terms of that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just an amazing, amazing release. And I'm I'm just super super stoked for this project. It's it's going to be you know it's always been one of my favorite um, Frank live albums. I think it's a lot of other people's as well. And um, there's also a vinyl release coming of it. Yeah, there's a three record set. It's the original. Al- well, you know, it's the original album since it was uh, transformed after Warner Brothers had their issues with it, mm-hmm. and so. Um, but, you know, for the people that are thinking out about, you know, well, why why did you use the censored version, you know, and all that stuff? I mean, you'll see that with the inclusion of the extra disc, you've got all the material there. So it's all mm-hmm. there. It's just that uh, I, I wasn't about to go back and start trying to find master sources for that other stuff and edit it into the master tape and stuff. I just felt like I'm going to leave this tape the way it is and we're going to cover all the material that was there and make sure that it's included there elsewhere. So it is all there. But I mean, also too, you know, there's lather. Yeah, that's right. You know, know, that's where, is that, did he take those tracks out of the Zappa New York master and then just insert them into lather? I'm going to say that I think so. Yes. I think that's what, I think that's what happened. Yeah. I think that's Uh, a logical thing that, you know, would have done, but you know, he could have taken any number of, you know, roads to get there, but but Lather was assembled not all that long after um, Zappa in New York would have been assembled. So there's a fire truck going by. <laughs> yeah, it was the same. It was the, I mean, literally months. It was it was basically almost 
Lather was basically worked on right after uh, Zeppa New York was finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Frank handed the masters into Warner Brothers and then immediately started working on Lather. And I, it's my opinion that even though, you know, Lather, Studio 10, Orchestral Favorites, and Sleep Dirt were all mm-hmm. hand, handed into Warner Brothers for a contractual obligation, you know. Yeah. And at, at that point, it's my belief that he wasn't really sure what was going to happen with those records, you know, like I think it might've been in his mind that eventually they were just going to like, let him know a release schedule and he would oversee it. And, uh, but he had no idea when that stuff was going to be. And he was so pissed at Warner's anyway, that yeah. he was like, well, I'm just going to rework this material. Cause you know, how Frank is. And, oh, and, and then lather came about and, you know, much to his dismay, Warner's did not go back to Frank and say, okay, here's a release schedule. What are we doing for packaging, you know, and all that stuff. I'll send you test uh, test pressings and all that stuff. All that shit didn't happen. They just said, like you, and they got their, they commissioned their own artwork. They made their own, you know, uh, masters from that for, for vinyl and all that stuff. And they botched it in Mm -hmm. the case of, in the case of orchestral favorites. And, um, and so they did all that stuff without Frank's involvement. Yeah. You know, so some ugly uh, covers on them and, you know, <laughs> yeah. As Frank said, because yeah. only Zappa in New York had artwork, right? I mean, that obviously right. was work that Frank put together, but the rest of them didn't have anything. Right. They were just master tapes. So, yeah, it, it was a, a confusing mess, especially, you know, because the word was that, you know, of course, as you know, that originally there was Lather and then Lather was disassembled to make those other albums, but that turned out obviously not to be true. And I don't think so. Yeah, anybody probably could have figured that out easily enough. But. Well, it's so confusing because they were really worked on almost at the same time. Yeah. You know, so, it was really close. Yeah, so it's, it's um, you know, it's quite the, uh, the project you had on your hands. I mean, so all the shows now at least live in the ball in their originally recorded form. Absolutely. After yep. you did all that pain in the ball. All that work. <laughs> yep. Yep. Can you tell us, if anything, about pieces like the the version of the Black Page that appears on the set? Yeah, I can tell you this. The version that I chose, we're very lucky that we even had that version to choose from because most of them, there was this, and you probably can hear it on the audience tapes, although I've never checked it out, but mm. there is, and maybe one of the fans can help me out on this, you know, but there is this instrument playing the melody of the black page, which sounds like a, well, it is a synthesizer. Mm-hmm. And at first, at first I thought that the synthesizer was being triggered by uh, Ruth when she was hmm. like, like literally like some kind of like old school seventies method of um, 
every note that she would hit on the marimba or vice would trigger the synth to play that note. Okay, that's what I thought was happening because it is this, it's just this weird sounding instrument playing the melody of the black page as it's happening in real time. It's not, yeah. an overdub, it's not an overdub, and I'm not sure if it's audible on the audience tapes or not, but the bummer was is that that instrument, whatever it was, that weird-sounding instrument, mm-hmm. was embedded on Ruth's track. Ooh, so in okay. other words, I couldn't separate it from what Ruth was playing, and so the first three nights, I think, of... Or, or, yeah, I think it's like the first three concerts that fucking thing is like on the track of Ruth and I couldn't use it because the melody it, that, that, that synth just was sounding bad. It wasn't uh-huh. replicating the melody properly. And, uh, and it was just, it just wasn't, it just wasn't good. So I have no idea what the story is with that, but the version on the fourth night, it wasn't recorded on the same track. It was found on a different track this time. That it ah. And so I was able to take it out. And, uh, but you wonder like, you know, well, how did that happen on this? You know, what, how did Frank deal with that problem on the version that he picked? Well, that's mm-hmm. because he wiped it and overdubbed other, ah, other okay. you know, he re-recorded the percussion. So that would mean then that of the three available versions that I had to choose from, two of them had that weird synth embedded on the track and one didn't. And so the one that didn't, was the one that I had to use. And, um, you know, thankfully, they played it pretty good. You know? Yeah. We helped it out a little bit, but it, 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 was, it was pretty good. So that's the story about why I chose the version of the Black Page that I did. Ah, see? See, this is, this is why you have to do interviews on this show, so that we can hear stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's going to be coming out. That I think it's next week, and the 29th after. Yeah, the week after now, mm-hmm. and um, you know that's going to be another huge uh, set. And it's kind of the final word on these tapes, right? Because pretty much, pretty you're, you're much, never yeah, gonna they're... be able to release the. I knew because I went back and and listened to the shows, the audience tapes, and you could, yeah, you can really hear that looseness, boy. I mean, you know, you could see where Frank was probably not. Super, super pleased. Although the shows are very spirited, you know. Yeah, and they got better as they went. Yeah, as as they kind of got broken in, you know. I mean, it was. I don't know how much rehearsal he had, but I don't think it was very much. The only thing that they did publicly before that was Saturday Night Live. So, um, and that's where he met the horn players, I think. And and it was during then that the horn players said, you know, we want to we want to be a part of the gig. So. Uh, all of a sudden, now now he's got a horn line to, mm-hmm. to in, integrate into the band, you know. So right there, huh? So that yeah. So really, you're only talking about what a couple weeks? Yeah, exactly. And he had <laughs> horn charts, and you know. exactly. And he was doing it, you know, really late at night, staying up at night, and writing all those charts for songs that he didn't have. And he was also unleashing new stuff on the band as was happening. I mean, literally. Punky's Wits was being created in the rehearsals right before those shows happened, like literally days days before, you know. Wow. It's amazing. You know, it's such a productive period for him. I mean, you know, I don't even know. 
I mean, he must have been pretty well drained by the time it was all over. But, you know, the performances are, like I said, they're very spirited performances. And, you know, the Brecker brothers just phenomenal, you know, in terms of some of my favorite versions of things like Black Page and stuff like that. And are, Ruth. And, yeah, and, well, who could forget Ruth? I mean, and she was paired with Dave Samuels, right, from... Uh, yeah, yeah, Dave was Empire. in there. Yep, mm-hmm. Dave was in there. I got I'll tell you, one, I'm just really stoked that um, that Ruth uh, recorded mm. her version of the Black Page on piano for the for the package. I thought that that was really wonderful. I was I so was, happy, so happy that she did that because I know that that's one of the pieces that she really enjoyed playing on piano for Frank. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, I said, well, you got to do it for the record. You got to do it for this. The timing, <laughs> yeah. the timing was so great, and uh, and I'm just so happy that she agreed to do that. So that was your idea to have her do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, it was. It was just. It just. It was just perfect. I can't wait to hear it because you know that when I when I think of like you know any of these Ruth pieces, they're very you know. I mean, to hear her doing that would I would have to be a very emotional experience. I mean, think about it, you know, uh, a woman in her early 70s that's been connected with that music for so long, sitting in her living room, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with her uh, family recording it. And, uh, I mean, it's just, come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, pretty amazing. Well, you know, I mean, I think um, in terms of uh, her approval ratings, I think they're around 100%. So everybody's going to love that one. <laughs> That was an inspired choice on your part, sir. Yeah, and then you've got Tommy doing it in 1978 at the Village Recorders, too. Uh, yeah. Black page number two. So it's kind of nice to bookend the bonus material with that stuff. You know, it was, it's in the vinyl and it's in the package, or the, the five CD, too. So it's really cool. Yeah, the package looks really nice. Have you seen the – do you have a copy yet of the final – yeah, I mean, the package is wonderful. There are so many sh- shots that Gail took during that time period. She was, yeah, that's you know, awesome. really using uh, her camera a lot during that time. And um, as you know, Frank used in the regular package, you know, shots that she took. And there was just so much more. She basically documented the the event. And so we had so uh, many shots to choose from. And it really makes this package that much more special to be able to utilize all of her uh, all of her work from that. Yeah, time. it's just really great. And also, Gail makes a little uh, you know a little surprise appearance in in, in the album. She um, does, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, obviously, if you've heard the tapes, you've heard, you've heard it before. But you know, I that was uh, something that I know Frank liked because he. He actually did a rough mix of it at one point. Yeah. A, yeah. <laughs> so um, I chose that version of uh, of that song to include because it's, it's so great. That's uh, that's just neat. One of the very few times she was ever on stage with him. Yeah, right. I I can't think. I think maybe in 88 at the Beacon. Um, I know the kids were on stage. Uh-huh. And uh, Gail might have been on stage for that as well but I you know this is basically you know a novelty it's a very rare treat
Now, I've got some listener questions. Do you want to cool. take any of these? Sure, let's do it. Okay. Uh, from Robert Farish of Connecticut. Can we get Frank's quad mixes of Apostrophe, Overnight Sensation, and Roxy released on Blu-ray? Interesting question. Well, I mean, it's not just that either. There's more quadraphonic stuff in the vault. So, I mean, I personally would like to see it. Uh, I remember in 2012 when we had meetings with Universal, they weren't um, too enthused about doing uh, a project like that. But then, you know, you still see all these other ones that are happening with other artists, you know, like mm-hmm. Yes and stuff like that. You know, the Stephen Wilson, yeah. uh, Stephen, the Stephen Wilson phenomenon and all that shit. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, it's, I would personally like to see a small series of quadraphonic issues mm-hmm. on Blu-ray or whatever is the uh, format at, at the time, you know, <laughs> that's uh, sure. all the, char- it's all the charts. <laughs> but yes, I would. I personally would like to see all that stuff happen. Um, but it's just a matter of. Uh, I think in the in the case of that stuff, it's a matter of when, not if. Okay. So, yeah. So, so it, it's kind of well, if not ready to go, it, it would be something that would be relatively easy to. Yeah. Attempt. Yeah, we would just we all we have to do is just uh, master them and get them in uh, like some kind of like a sequence and then just do it, you know, and sure. decide on how, how to package it. Like, do we do it separate? Do we do some of them together? Do we do a series where it's multiple releases, you know, like all three records separate and then another something or other? Sure. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. And also, too, I would give this away. I know that there are not all of it, but some of the Roxy material was, was mixed in quad. Not the Roxy oh. notes were a record, but the live yeah. shows. The live shows were mixed in four channel. So you've got that material as well. So there's definitely multiple releases that we could do of four channel stuff. Oh, man. I could... Um, hey, I'm all set up to hear it right now. So I'm Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wish I was. The, the, yeah. <laughs> the apartment that I'm living in over the past... I don't know, six years, five or six years now. Um, it just doesn't set itself up for it. I can't I can't do it. It's just too much of a pain in the ass. So I literally haven't had surround capabilities for a long time. I miss it. I used to have it in my last place. And gosh, it was fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to uh, spend a lot of time just, you know, putting on some of those old Pink Floyd quad mixes and, you know, going crazy on that kind of stuff. That's kind of why I got a... Um, a surround sound setup. This is before, uh, you know, the, the Frank, um, DVD release. Yes. On your yes. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to have, I mean, you know, it's never going to be something that everybody has cause you're right. It's a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. You wonder how many people these days actually take the time to do it. I mean, I would be impressed if, if there were more than what I think it is. I just think, Nobody wants to take that. That's why Super Audio CD died and all that stuff is, even though, you know, it's, it's, they still make Super Audio CDs for the people that want it, but the market's got to be so small now. And oh, yeah. Who sets the stuff up? Who presses the right buttons? Who mm-hmm. wants to learn how to do it the right way? I mean, not a lot. The, the general consumer, absolutely not. And if they were smart, it, I mean, you know, streaming services should be able to offer that shit. And I think they do. Do they? I think, I think, I, 
I think that Netflix and stuff like that, if you've got the right connection, it is broadcasting. Well, digital TV is broadcasting in surround. Yeah. Okay. So I think, I, I'm not sure if Netflix or Amazon Prime or stuff like that is also doing that, but it sure would be cool if you had the option of choosing between the different uh, audio streams, just like you do on DVD. They should yeah. be doing that with streaming and not just limiting you to stereo always, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I, uh, you know, it's just like one of those like cool things that um, would be nice in the future. I mean, you know, there's so many releases though you could be doing. Well, what about like iTunes, you know, like if you rent a movie on iTunes, is it only stereo or do you have the surround option? Question. Um, the stuff that I've gotten from iTunes, I think has only been stereo, but, um, these people need to, that's why nobody's pushing it. Nobody's making it available or, or like, or like even like promoting it as such, you know? So, why is that? Because the demand isn't there. Nobody gives a shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, well, that's, that's you gotta wonder. You gotta wonder uh, why why they wouldn't push surround as as much as they would push the stereo. Just because it's all consumer, just like uh, convenience. You know, the easiest thing. Sure. Well, you know, it's not like people are getting less lazy society moves forward, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like, like you said, nobody wants to be bothered learning how to do the stuff properly. So, yeah, you know, it's worth it, but, you know, it's, it is work. Yes. Um, let's see. Uh, what is the status of the Waka Jawaka Grand Wazoo box set? I didn't know that anybody knew anything about that. Yeah, There's well, potential it. for one, and there is no status yet because I haven't started working on it other than the fact that I've transferred the master tapes, but... I mean, I think I guess what it is the question. The stuff, the stuff is transferred, but nothing's been, uh, you know, like prioritized or anything yet. But it is something that uh, I will be doing in the future because it has to happen. I would like to actually see that tied in with the vinyl reissues of uh, both of those records. Oh yeah, huh? Do you have a? You don't have a schedule for any of these um, vinyl reissues, right? They just kind of happen when they happen. Well, a lot of it deals with, you know, uh, having production meetings and then uh, finding out, well, what are the, you know, a, a lot of the times anniversaries are prioritized, you know. So mm-hmm. what's the anniversary for this year? What's the anniversary in 2020? Sure. You know, and then we make decisions on whether or not that stuff's been exploited yet or, or you know, or if it's something that we want to do. So, I mean, that's kind of where it begins Mm-hmm. And then, and then we lobby for what we want to do, and so eventually, that's that's going to happen with those records. Eventually, great. Um, there is a big anniversary this year, and it kind of ties in with the next question that's here. We need it, it's not so much a question as a statement from Dan Morris. We need a making of hot rats and burnt weenie sandwich outtakes. Uh, I'm assuming he's talking about burnt weenie sandwich, the album, as opposed to the film. But uh, yes, I can tell you that uh, the research that I've done so far is that um, that both of those records were being worked on uh, at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, because Bert Winnie Sandwiches, if you think about where the sources are from all that stuff, some of it's from the Hot Rat sessions that happened at TTG in July and August of 69. Sure. Some of it comes from sessions from... Uh, Miami, I think, or A&R. No, A&R Studios. In New York. Uh, yes. 
Um, and so some of that stuff was brought in to the Hot Rats uh, sessions at TCG to be worked on because that mm-hmm. stuff was recorded on one-inch A-track. Yeah. And so the overdubs were, 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 it was, overdubs were done on a 16-track. So all that process was being was being done at the same time that Hot Rats was being recorded, Dig. Mm. So like the so the basic tracks and all that stuff that was done for the Hot Rats album, plus there was a lot of other material that was recorded mm-hmm. at the, for those sessions. From Paul Burgess, what is the state of the unfinished Synclavier compositions, and what can you tell us about the new vault? Oh, and what's Lady Gaga done with the UMRK? Well, we don't really know that, do we? <laughs> well, one at a time. So the first sure. one is the Synclavier. You know, if I don't think that technology is on our side when it comes to, you know, I'm going to put this in quotation marks, uh, revitalizing the lost Synclavier compositions, mm-hmm. in quote. You know, it's that's a really hard one because, well, I don't want to go into technical aspects about that stuff. I can only tell sure. you that I know for the longest time, Gail would always say, you know, we've got this amount of stuff living in the Synclavier that's never been heard. Well, mm-hmm. even if you were to fire up the Synclavier, if it would even fire up, mm-hmm. even if you fired it up, and try to get that stuff. You know, all they basically really are, are, well, I guess I am going to get into technical stuff about this. All they basically really are is sequences. And those sequences, those, you know, uh, programs have to talk to brains, Mm -hmm. the digital brains of modules that had sounds that he was triggering at the time. Yeah. And all those brains are gone. All there really is oh. now is just programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so what sounds is it going to trigger now? If it, if you were to fire it up and connect it to something, what's it going to fire up? It's, yeah. it's, it's just programming. The sounds are gone. The modules that have the sounds are gone. The sound, some sound, I mean, the sound library has been uh, archived, but who's to say what those programs were trig- what sounds those programs were triggering? Yeah. You know, it's, it's really convoluted. It's really technical. It's really deep. And I learned all that from, you know, from talking to Todd, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Sinclair assistant, Todd Vega. So what we have in the vault as far as Sinclair is concerned, the most important things are anything that was mixed or dumped to a stereo tape, a, a digital tape, mm-hmm. of, which, of which there are, you know, still uh, a lot of stuff. Uh, that's in there. I'm, I'm not going to say a ton, but there is a lot. So there's still Tinklevere things that haven't been released. Um, but, you know, as far as the stuff that's actually sitting in that machine, that's been sitting in that machine for 20 years or more, whatever it's been, Yeah, I, I can't imagine that those things could be resurrected. I just don't think that it could happen. I might be wrong, mm-hmm. but I just think it's really, really complicated to try and grab the stuff that just ended up just still being in that machine after all this time. One way of looking at it might be 
for example, finding a score for a piece but not knowing what the orchestration for it would be. So you have no idea, for example, what, like you said, what the sounds would have been. Right. Exactly. You just have you just have the sequence. So essentially you have the composition, but that's all you have. And yeah. everything else kind of, you know, when Frank left the building, you know, he, you know, it kind of went with him more or less. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What was the second part of that? Oh, it was, uh, what can you tell us about the new vault? Well, it's in a place in Hollywood and it's in very secure and it's in good hands and uh, all's well. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the third part, the third part of that uh, question is, I haven't been to the house since the day I left it, mm-hmm. and um, I've only driven by it maybe twice since it's yeah. been sold. And uh, but I have been in touch with the technician who was in charge of getting that uh, studio up and running and operational for Lady Gaga and. Um, I can tell you that um, the Zappa mustache logo is still on the studio door. Oh, awesome. Which is really great. And uh, and the room is working. And uh, it's possible that there is some material on the Star is Born soundtrack that was done there. Really? Yeah, it could have been vocal overdubs. It could have been demos. It could have been who knows. But, yeah, so that's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, it's nice to see that, you know, she's still using that for its intended purpose, you know. I mean, that's a big draw for the house, though. Sure. You know, that you had all that there. Also from Den Morris, what's happening with the Varez project? Uh, uh, just, waiting, just, waiting, just waiting to be prioritized. Mm-hmm. But it's, it can come out. It is, yes. It's all set, and it, you know. Yeah. Ahmed talked about it on the show where he said he would like his siblings involved with whatever because it you know it's a very emotional project for all. I know it was a very emotional project for Gail yeah you know and um, uh, you can imagine you know that's kind of well it's his last word really so uh, yeah it's amazing to think that it started with Verez and it ended with Verez yep and you know when they when they do it he said you know there's documentary footage that can go along with that and you know when they do it they're going to do it right and it's just like you said waiting to be prioritized yeah there you go uh todd cox anything left in the vault that we may be hearing soon from the late 75 band yes yes there is uh it's not as extensive as i would that i would like it to be but Mm -hmm. yes yes there is road tape stuff uh yeah 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 yeah, okay. and some just a little bit of stuff that's that's past the road tapes category. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Oh, great. From Clinton Morgan, what are the plans for the Honker Home videos, uh, Uncle Meat, Amazing Mr. Bickford, Jazz from Hell, et cetera, and is there enough audiovisual written material to provide any potential DVD re-releases with extras? Yeah, there is, but uh, that's an odd question. I, I really don't know. Yeah, you don't you know. Really- yeah. Video stuff. Yeah. Um, probably that that stuff will come out though eventually. Uh, I sure hope. Yeah. I mean, it's done. You know, it's not like you know would be all that difficult. Uh, from Ke- Keith Laszlo, I would love to know more about the source of Meat Lights My Guitar Proto One excerpt. Is there more? Was the edit done by Frank or a ZFT sample of a tape? Was it a build reel or a project? Uh, it is. There is more. 
And mm. it is Frank's edit. It was taken from a mono reel-to-reel of an early build of Uncle Meat. Mm-hmm. And, yes, there is there is more to that. And, um, yeah, that was all done at Apostolic wow, Studios. Okay. And uh, so there's, yeah, there's more material. Okay. Great. So from Aaron Belansky, I think I, I could just about answer this. Will road tapes continue to be released? Well, there will be road tapes released, but um, whether or not it's in uh, a road tape series remains to be seen. Uh, that's another Amic question. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, obviously there's tons of stuff that can come out. Sure. You know. Yep. From Chris Siebold, will there ever be a vinyl version of The Yellow Shark? There's an interesting one. Well, I mean, could be. It, there could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there could be. Um, We're a long way away from that ever really happening. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, uh, that's a digitally recorded source, and, you know, how much benefit is it going to be to have it on vinyl? I mean, yeah, it would be cool. The novelty of having that package in vinyl would be beautiful because it's so uh, pretty and everything. Sound-wise, mm-hmm. sound wise, you know, I really think the Yellow Shark CD sounds amazing. So yeah, to, I, to, to, to transfer that to uh, vinyl would just be for vinyl's sake, really, you know? Yeah. It wouldn't it's not an analog project. It's not an analog project, so it's yeah. it's uh, something that's not at the top of the list as far as vinyl, because vinyl is an analog format. And, you know, whenever there's an analog tape to cut to a vinyl lacquer, that's mm-hmm. always the preference. I mean, a lot of people use digital, of course. Sure. But I would like to prioritize most of the analog stuff first before you start getting into the digital tapes. Even though we've, you know, we've done Feeding the Monkeys and that was a digital source and mm-hmm. our our current Record Store Day selection that's going to be happening in April, which is the Guitar World according to Frank Zappa, that was a yes. digital mas- that's a digital master too. So mm-hmm. So I, you don't. I guess, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say no to a vinyl uh, to a vinyl version of Yellow Shark. It's just that it's not top priority. That's all. Sure. Okay. Um, what was the last vinyl project that Frank actually worked on? Um, would probably be would would that be Helsinki, stage it, two? Yeah, I think so. I, I remember uh, Broadway the Hard Way, Helsinki, and I guess. Uh, the sampler of you can't do it on stage anymore. Was that yeah. pretty much some of the last stuff? Yeah, it has to be. They all came out around the 88. Same time. Yeah, they, Helsinki was just a little later. Uh, so that was the last box? Yeah, and yeah. That, they stopped cutting for vinyl after that. Ed Marcus, well, I don't know if we know this or not. Is the documentary almost done? Alex hasn't given an update in a while. Uh, uh, it's 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 really close. Yeah? Yeah. That's all Have I can you, really say. Yeah. Uh, well, obviously. Everybody so everybody's knows. very excited about it. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's going to be huge. I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Very much so. Uh, let's see. I'm not really sure what this means, but it's from Jacob 
San, Sandoy, I think it is. I, I'm not really sure how to pronounce it. Sorry, Jacob. Um, did you ever find Frank's own mix of everything is healing nicely in the vault? And if so, will it be released? I did a well, little look into that. I'm not really Frank, sure what it means. I doubt highly that Frank did any mixing outside of Spence on that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, Spence Chris Lou was doing all of the mixing on that stuff. I mean, Frank produced it, but I doubt highly that Frank sat and mixed anything outside of Spence for that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he was ill. Everybody was, he had a, a team that was working for him. So, you know, I, I'm, I, so when you say Frank's mix, I mean, Everything is healing nicely. Kind of is Frank's mix, if I recall. That's what I thought. Yeah, he, he produced it. You know, the one thing that we did find is we found some of that material edited together differently, which oh, yeah? was something which was something that Frank did. And then when when Frank passed, Spence kind of had his way with it. Like he's the one that sequenced and built that record uh, in the form that it is now. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we found out after the fact that Frank had already started working a little bit with that material and had sequenced it and sequenced it and edited it a certain way, but but Spence didn't adhere to that. Interesting. I did not know that. Well, nobody knows that. Yeah, sure, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's not to say that Spence didn't do a good job of putting together that record because you know it is good. It is a good record, yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, let's see. He also wants to know, any plans on releasing more stuff with the, from the 1973 band? I think he means the Spring 73 band. I believe the Australian concerts were recorded, which, of course, they were. Yes. Yeah, no, there, that, that, there's a lot of potential for, for releases um, from, from that year, I'm going to say. And mm-hmm. stay tuned. Stay tuned, <laughs> man, because it's happening sooner than you think. <laughs> that's good give us everything you know one of the, we'll take one of everything please <laughs> yeah yep. um, I think I could probably answer this question but from Justin Armstrong is there any film of uh, the Helsinki 74 shows or chance of a DVD from no. the shows no he didn't record that no. uh, film it I mean I mean he recorded it obviously but Celio Tintori Silo I'm not really sure how to pronounce it. We need releases like Zappa in Japan, Zappa in France, Zappa in Holland, et cetera. I, I think he's talking like, you know, pick a location like uh, FZOZ and do some kind of special thing like that. But, you know. Well, the, the Japanese tapes are, um, the four-track tapes are, are disappointing because the vocals are barely audible in that stuff. Really? If you, if you think about what's been released from that stuff, it's all been instrumental. That's true, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the vocals uh, are really, really hard to, to, to listen to on that. Not because they suck, but just because that they weren't really, like, recorded. Mm-hmm. You, can't really, you can't really hear them that well. The clarity of the vocals is, is nil. So I'll have to go back and revisit those tapes again. To, to, but I remember in the 90s listening to that stuff and, uh, and just being super disappointed. Yeah, it just didn't really do it for you. Yeah, it's uh, just you can't you can't the way that it was recorded, you just don't have direct vocals in the mix. You just can't mm-hmm. hear them. It's ambient. So you just hear them faintly in the background, you know. Yeah. Okay. So that kinda sucks. Well, 
You know, I mean, you could, if you, if you were to take um, his concept here, you know, Zappa in Japan, Zappa in France or whatever, you could basically put that label on any, you know, vault release that you do in terms of live albums anyway, you mm-hmm. know, because, you know, they were all recorded in some country or other. So, yeah, <laughs> that kind of is out there. Uh, this is really more of a comment from Rondo Hatton, who I assume is not the Rondo Hatton. Uh, that would be uh, probably easy to assume since he's been dead for many years, ladies and gentlemen. However, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rondo says, all right, I'm going to read it as it is written. Tell please many thanks to Joe for his work done and wish him health that he would continue to please us with new releases for many years. Well, so, thank you. As a, a random pleasing statement here. <laughs> I'll, I'll take the health. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> you got road work to do, Sonny Boy. You got to yeah. stay healthy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> From Mike Espinoza, will Shankar's Touch Me There be remastered and reissued? It already has been, and it was offered as a digital download through the site. Yeah. Uh, that's what I remember, but we did already remaster it. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I think it was remastered. I, I, we remastered it with us. Somebody at Bernie Grumman, I can't remember if it was Chris or Bernie himself. I think it was Bernie. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, and and it was just a digital download only. Yeah, okay. We, we, did, we didn't do the CD. You know, things like um, Wild Man Fisher. I know you've wanted uh, Evening with Wild Man Fisher to be re- reissued for – we've talked about that for a while. Yeah, yeah, Ahmet knows about that too, and, and he does want to do it. So the answer to that is it's, it's another one of those not, not if but when. Yeah. yeah and also – we also have extra material. We we could actually do another Wild Man Fisher record if we wanted to. Really? <laughs> yeah, that which would be, be great. Because Frank, you know, Frank worked on a lot of stuff at that during that time, late '68. So, mm-hmm. yeah. In today's rapidly changing world, musical groups appear almost every day with some new promotional device. Some of these devices have been known to leave irreparable scars on the minds of foolish young consumers. One such case is seated before you, live on stage. Yes, Terry Bozio. All right, uh, let's see. we got a few more of these from Brad Sabbath. Hi, Brad. Will there be any Midwest hologram show dates? We touched on that before. Um it, prob- the short answer is most likely yes. Yes, I'm hoping. Yeah. I'm That's sure there will be. I mean, I don't see any reason why there won't be. Okay. Um, from my friend, Robert McKenzie, up in Scotland, uh, does Joe know when and how Van Morrison came to sing on uh, Dead Girls of London? I do not. Do, do we have, um, I mean, the tapes live in the vault. But, yes. uh, um Do you remember when that was recorded? 79. It was 79, okay. So maybe early 79 when, you know, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it was Air Studios in London where that stuff was recorded. Simon okay. Phillips was the drummer. And, oh, yeah? Uh, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that was all done in 79. Oh, great. Okay. So let's see. From John Krautner. What, if anything, did Frank have to do with the 1994 RICO reissue, I guess he means 95, of We're Only In It For The Money? 
did he have a change of heart in regards to releasing the original mix before he passed away? Yes, he because he 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 provided the uh, you know he he reverted back to the original mix because of the pressure of the the market. You know, I, he knew that the people wanted it, so that's one that he kind of went back to, and and that's the one that was prepared for the '95 reissue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. From uh, Robert Koch. What recording equipment or software has Joe been into lately? I have been using Focusrite RedNet systems for uh, my digital transfer station. Yeah. Uh, I use uh, WaveLab, and I use Pro Tools, uh, new versions, of, you know, like updated versions of both of those in my new studio. The tape machines I use are ATR 4-track and an ATR 2-track. And I have a Studer A27 24-track and a Studer A80 uh, 24-track, which I outfit with a 16-track head and a 1-inch 8-track head in order to transfer that stuff. And I still utilize for certain things, I still utilize the Euphonic uh, analog-to-digital converters Mm -hmm. uh, for anything 24-track. Uh, and I have a Dolby SR 24-track rack system to get that stuff happening. Frank also used a lot of Telefunken C4D noise reduction, mm-hmm. so I have to have that available. And um, so, yeah, so that's the main stuff. That's neat. Okay. <laughs> yep. All right, great. That definitely answers that question. Uh, <laughs> Uh, let's see, from Calissa Sissoko, uh, what is there uh, in the vault of clips of Frank discussing or revealing his, revealing his composing process? This would be an interesting compilation with musical samples to illustrate what he said. Well, he talked about it a lot of, in interviews. Yeah, you would know more about that than I would. Yeah, the, I don't. I don't know that there would be tapes in the vault of him talking about his compositional process. I think, you know you have to do a deep dive into interviews because, you know, he, you know, he discussed a fair amount. So, you know, and there's yeah. a lot of audio of that stuff too. So that's yeah, easy yeah. enough. I mean, there was, it was, it wasn't just one certain way. I mean, he would be jotting down ideas on paper and airplanes and buses and trains being on the road. Mm-hmm. He obviously would do that stuff at home. Uh, lyrics would be secondary most of the time, you know, and mm-hmm. then, and then whenever he would be rehearsing or on the road with a group, he would be trying out ideas with those groups. I mean, he he wouldn't always just hand charts to people. I mean, sometimes things would just be written in rehearsals, you know? Yeah. Sure. He would just play, play lines on the guitar. They would cop it. He would arrange it, expand it. Things would change all the time. It was always evolving. It was It was never written in stone, as we know. So yeah. whenever he would have bands, you know, if he's employing bands to, uh, then you know he would utilize that as a tool. Mm-hmm. So, so whether it's notes on paper or using the band or whatever, I mean, there was a lot of different ways that he would be composing. And yeah, then, of course, just... there was the Sinclair age where he would sit down for hours and hours and hours and input characters into uh, a system, and he would hear it yeah. that way. You know, there's just a, a lot of different ways. You know, it's, 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 it's a sin to think about how technology has progressed now. 
mm-hmm. you know, and where we're at with digital audio workstations and how much memory, uh, how much superpower is now in these computer systems and, and, uh, and what, and you think about what he was working with, you know, very small hard drives, very mm-hmm. small memory capacity, instant versions of, uh, Sonic solutions and Mac mm-hmm. computers. I mean, and the Synclavier could only do so much, you know, at that time. I mean, and he was utilizing that to the fullest. I mean, imagine, imagine what he would be able to do now. Oh, I know. I think about that a lot because, you know, now, I mean, back then it must have seemed to him like once the Synclavier came along with the possibilities were endless. Now right. they are. <laughs> Pretty much. There's no question that they are now. Yep. Um, let's see. From Jacopo Monorati. Can we expect some unreleased studio stuff to come out of the vault anytime soon? Says studio Frank. stuff. Yeah. You know, there isn't really much. I mean, in the 80s when Frank had his own studio, obviously there would be more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we haven't really got deep into the 80s sessions. Yeah. Um, and even in the 80s still, he was utilizing live tracks as basis, like basic tracks, and then build up, built up on it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's more possibilities of studio material uh, in the 80s than there is in the 70s, but uh, that's that remains to be seen. I mean, I haven't archived every single master tape from the 70s or everything from the 80s, so uh, that's that's ongoing. But the live stuff is, um, there's so much of it. Mm-hmm. There's way more live stuff than there is studio stuff. So that's why there's so many live things uh, coming out because yeah. there's just so much of it. It's easy to uh, easy to work with. But that doesn't yeah. just that doesn't justify anything. I mean, really, it's it's just priorities, and I uh, just haven't gotten to a lot of the studio stuff yet. I just haven't. Mm-hmm. I will. It'll happen over time. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> project to the Save the Vault project. Mark Evans would like to know if you could share some of the unexpected finds from that popped up when you were working on um, the transfer Saving the Vault. Well, you know, here's the thing. Mm. When when all was said and done, the amount of money that was raised for from the Kickstarter all basically had to go towards saving the film. Yeah. Because when you talk about the word saving right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what's the stuff that's the most in danger? And I know we've talked about, we've talked about this before. Yeah. And sure. the audio tape is the stuff that's the least amount in danger. And if it was in danger, we can, we can resurrect it and bring it back mm-hmm. to life, but you can't sure. do that with the film. And so we had to prioritize the bulk of the budget in uh, saving the film. And I handpicked, as much as I possibly could, you know, that I thought should be priority. Mm -hmm. But there's still a whole lot of stuff that hasn't been transferred. And, uh, you know, as we talk, it's literally dying. I mean, it's sitting in that vault 
and it's dying. Yeah. So it's a race against time, and I'm really so grateful and so fortunate that the fans helped out as much as they did because I think when you see the Alex Winter documentary, you'll get a good dose of a lot of the stuff that answers his question as far as like uh, nuggets and things that were identified that we didn't know was there. So, sure. Uh, so unfortunately it's really just the film that would uh, satisfy that. Mm-hmm. Urge to, you know, as far as like, what are some of the things that popped up that we didn't even know existed? Well, it would just be in the film world. It wouldn't be in the audio world. And the audio world is ongoing. And I'm still finding things that I didn't realize were there. So it's, uh, that's ongoing. So that's the beauty of my job is yeah. uh, just, it's just every day we're finding stuff that, that we didn't know was there or we're just identifying or that kind of stuff. It's, it's great. It's really, it's unbelievable. I mean, this is going to go on far beyond me, you know, and my time with the vault. It'll it'll continue on past me. So mm. we'll see. Well, you know, you you are the official title holder of uh, you have the official title, the, the greatest job in the world. You know, some, <laughs> some, some people some people you know want to cure cancer, you know, and that's great, and you know they should, but um, you know, eh, you know. Vaultmeister, that's that's the job you want. <laughs> yeah, well, who wants to live forever, man? You know, I mean, yeah, you know, if you can cure cancer, what are you going to live to be 150 and sit there and fucking drool all day? You know, <laughs> you got to die somehow. It's yeah. just it's, you just don't want to die premature, obviously. But um, but anyway, that's my view on curing, curing cancer. But uh. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to do this as long as I possibly can and as long as, you know, they want me to do it. So it's it's my passion, my heart is there absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I'm None so proud. I'm so proud of what we've done so far. Yeah. The stuff with Gail and, you know, the stuff without Gail, I mean, it's just been it really has been an amazing experience and I'm so glad that the stuff that's out there that that I've had my ability to make available to the world. I'm so glad that it's out there because it's all great. Sure. It really is. You know, I, I'm very honored to get the opportunity to talk to you about these things because, uh, you know, and, and to be your friend because, uh, you know, you're, you're just the man, Joe. What can I say? Oh, man. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, I'm, I'm really uh, honored to be doing it. And now I get to play the music again, which I'm really excited about. So, I am just, I'm just in it. I'm in it to win it. Yep. <laughs> and you're going to. Uh, there are a couple more of these, and then I'll venture into one more topic, and then I swear to God I'll leave you alone. <laughs> okay. Cool. Um, this is an interesting one from John Gibson. Is there more footage that could be released from the Does Humor Belong in Music uh, shows at the pier in New York City? Yes. Yeah, but they filmed those whole basically. Yeah, there were two shows, two shows, three shows. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, that's an interesting question because I think the video is only an hour. Right. um, Yeah, that would be fun to see one of these days. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Paul Butcher asks exactly, or should I say, approximately, how much written music was in the vault? Is there any way to feed that into computer programs and have it playable in some form? Of course. Yeah, of sure. course, and that's how we found some of the stuff that we're using in the hologram tour. I mean, there's boxes of shit. There just really is. And um, so, yeah, it's a treasure trove. 
It really is. Wow. So, yeah, the answer is yes. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, from Amy, uh, I think it's Chiros or Kairos, uh, would he? Would Joe ever consider releasing shows from the European tour in Autumn 73, the group was on fire? Well, you did. But there's more, uh, of course. There, there's, yeah. there's a lot of tapes from 73, and there's a, a ton of potential for gigs. The problem is, is that I don't want to, I, I mean, personally, I don't want to saturate the Zappa fans and the Zappa market with just stuff from 73 because there's so much. I mean, Chris, we haven't even gotten to 88 vault shows or anything like that yet, you know? Yeah. So, or 84 for that matter. Mm-hmm. So, or 81 or 82, if you think about it. So That's true, there's, yeah. There's so much. There's so much. And I know that the 70s is a very lucrative uh time for Frank. He was recording everything and there's so much in there. And it's vintage and people want to hear it. Sound quality is going to improve as the years go on. And so once we start getting into the 80s, that stuff is just, it's going to sound great. The performances are great because the consistency of the band members were great, although you can't you can't complain about the 73 bands, you know, and the 74 band. I mean, it's all great, unfortunately. Most of that stuff is on uh four track tapes and 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 those are just like Frank said they're just like memoirs almost you know yeah. not release not releasable in his mind but for the mar- for for the um for the hardcores and for the people that want that you know they'll take it and so I know that and um, I'm always striving to try and find the best sounding shows the best recorded shows of all those years mm-hmm. so I prioritize that stuff and I'm still not I'm still not finished tra- transferring all of those show tapes. I mean, there's just hundreds. Yeah, I think so. I, at this point, I think that the only tour that I have every single show master from those tours uh, transferred is oh. the Petit Wazoo tour. That's it. Really? That's the only tour that I have all of the shows transferred that exist in the vault. Otherwise. 73, 74, 75, 76, 77, 78. I mean, they're all, not all of those are transferred. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that's still just. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah. more from John Krautner. Is there a solid releasable live version of Token of My Extreme, the Joe's Garage Arrangement, performed by the Bongo Fury lineup or any lineup for that matter? Uh, yeah. Yeah, there is. I mean, obviously the Bongo Fury tapes would be the first place to go for that. And there's a lot of versions of it. So, oh. yes. And the Joe's okay. Garage version is pretty much that kind of, kind of that arrangement. The Bongo Fury arrangement is, uh, is a little different. Yeah, and what's in the Joe's Garage thing? So, but you have. Yeah. Do you have things like um, Portuguese Lunar Landing? Yeah, it's yeah. there. So yeah, that that can come out. Yes. Ooh. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I just figured I need to throw that in. Yeah. Um, we kind of covered this other question from John. 
were there any releases after the guitar double LP that were considered for vinyl release but only released on CD? Is there a chance that the FT would ever release posthumous material on vinyl? We kind of covered that. Well, Finer Moments is one of those, and feeding the, feeding the Monkeys was intended for vinyl and never came out on vinyl, so we did mm-hmm. that. But, you know, once he started, once CD came around, that really, really took up his time. Yeah, that's what that's it. I mean, you know, that's that was the format of the time. So, yeah, he he kind of went where the best quality was, which at the time was CD. So, yeah, that's what that's what he went for. Orrin Leithson asks, "Will Resolver and Brutality be released soon?" We talked about this the other night because basically it's just an early version of Feeding the Monkeys, right? Some of it, yeah. Brutality isn't, but um, Resolver is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, again that falls into the category of the Sinclair stuff that lives in the vault on stereotape of which that is some of it. So yeah, someday that stuff will come out. It will happen. And just to go into this last thing I wanted to ask you about from Stan Ivester. Hi Stan. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. You know, Stan. Yeah. Um, any chance of seeing some version of the 12 or 9-disc history and collected improvisations of the Mothers of Invention box set? Yeah. Well, when that stuff was compiled, the the tapes didn't stay in the same sequence. Mm-hmm. So all of that material is just scattered all over the vault. And I'm sure that I haven't uh, transferred everything that was intended for that project, even when it was in its form and cut when acetates were cut or, mm-hmm. you know, acetates were cut of that stuff. But it, Do you uh, have a, a complete set of... I don't know if you want no, to... No, not complete. Not, not complete. complete. Unfortunately, you know, the Cohen estate sold some of it. Yep, you know? they did. So we don't have it, but we do have some. Uh, I think we have show and tell. Oh, yeah? Yeah, but there's more. But anyway, if I can identify what all of that material is on that set, there is the possibility of me recreating it if I can find it all. Oh. If I can find it all and put it all together, then it would be... But you have to remember, a lot of that stuff ended up coming out. Yeah, that's true. You know, not all of it, but a lot of it came out on... You can't do that on stage anymore. Disc one of volume five. Uh-huh. And some stuff in volume one is in there, I, I think. There's a lot, you know, a lot of episodes. Yep. There was a lot of stuff from there. So Frank, you know, did reutilize that stuff in future uh, projects, but yeah, it would be cool to have all of it come together. That'd as, be cool. as it was supposed to originally. You know, yeah, be. at one is, time. At is Berlin yeah. sandwich tied to that at all, or was that completely? Or do you know? Or was that a completely separate project? I think it was separate. Yeah, because um, up until recently, I'd always believed that it was somehow part of it, but now. You know, it appears to have always been its own release, and none of that material would have been in that box. Right.
And that's our show. The ZappaCast was produced and edited by Scott Parker. Production assistance by Joe Travers and Melanie Starks. This podcast and all of the musical selections contained therein are copyrighted worldwide by the Zappa Family Trust. All rights reserved. Big thanks to Ahmed Zappa and all at Zappa.com. On behalf of the ZappaCast team, this is Scott Parker saying thank you for listening. And until next time, good night, boys and girls. It's been lovely working for you this evening. Good night. Good night.